Hello, hello, hello. Uh, this is the Out of Bounds Podcast. I am Adam Jabber, and we have an episode that focuses on all things transmission. Uh, Chris from SRAM joins the podcast to talk all about uh, kind of the game-changing situation that is transmission. So we dive into the details. I ask him some tougher questions about the functionality of it long-term, what it looks like, and how it will be adapted to bikes going forward. So I'm psyched to share this one with you. It's one I'm super interested in myself, and I'm really glad I got some answers from Chris. Uh, and I thank him very much for the time. Before we jump into that episode, be sure to check out the new merch on the website. We got a bunch of stuff that has dropped and or has dropped in price. So we got some stuff that is on sale as well. So go get you some. Uh, we also have two wonderful sponsors for today in Darn Tough Vermont is our first one. Darn Tough is the ultimate sock. Like it is the best sock in the entire world. As you probably know, I have spent... 55 days straight in these things without washing them and doing an activity every single day, specifically in the micro crew, which they have a bunch of new styles of on their website. So if you go to darntuff.com, you can shop from a local Vermont brand and get yourself the very best that exists in socks. Like socks are not a thing that are supposed to be sexy, but God damn, these things look good. So get yourself a pair of socks that will literally last you a lifetime at darntuff.com. Next, we have our friends at Deuter. It's Deuter, not Deuter, dude. Uh, Deuter makes some of the best backpacks, whether it is for skiing, travel, trail running, hiking, I don't know, putting bodies in a bag, like literally the whole thing. Deuter has you covered. Uh, they will not take any responsibility for your actions if you uh, if you use them inappropriately. I am a huge fan of everything that they make, specifically the trail series stuff. I mean, the stuff is super comfortable. It fits extremely well. The colors are great. And most of all, the function is paramount. The stuff works well for just about anything. It fits well. The hip straps on these things are pretty incredible. That's the thing that I've been most impressed with is I always have a hard time with like my bag riding up. And I think with this series of bag that they have, uh, especially in like the trail 28, trail 30, trail 16, and obviously the ski, ski packs as well. The way that it wraps your hips is really, really nice and has some functional accessible pockets as well. And obviously a bunch of places to store your gear effectively and keep yourself organized. So even if you're a giant pile like I am, and you cannot figure out how to organize your life, Deuter has solutions for you to make it as easy as humanly possible. Go to Deuter.com. It is D-E-U-T-E-R and get yourself a new bag today. I am always supremely impressed with this brand and I could not be more proud to have them as a partner. The product is incredible. So Deuter.com, hit them up, Deuter USA on Instagram. And uh, if you have bag questions, tech questions on this stuff, as always, I'm happy to help guide you through the very best in bag products as well as any other products that we work with here like we really only work with brands that we're passionate about and we think that work well for the end consumer we don't want to sell you a bunch of stuff that you don't actually need so without further ado here's our episode with chris from sram and we are talking all about transmission chris why don't you start off tell people who you are a little bit about yourself and then we can kind of take it from there yeah thanks uh thanks for the opportunity so yeah, my name is Chris Mandel. I take care of public relations for SRAM and Rock Chocks for North America. And um, my background is actually in product development. So I was with an OEM um, bicycle manufacturing company for a long time, developed complete bikes, um, working with an engineer and industrial designer um, as the product manager. And then I came over to Rock Shocks actually as the rear shock product manager. Okay. I was the rear shock product manager for um just just shy of five years um and then for personal reasons i had to move from colorado springs back to my home in bellingham washington um and when i did that i like simultaneously switched roles which was um you know really appreciate tram keeping me on board as an employee as i made that move because at the time there weren't that many remote workers you know things have changed a little bit post COVID, but at the time, I think there were seven of us for the entire organization. So it was, it was really, uh, I, I'm 
very, have a lot of gratitude for SRAM for, uh, for thinking, thinking of me and keeping me on board. Yeah, that's awesome. So how do you make the switch from being a product guy to being a PR guy? Because I think in a lot of ways, those jobs couldn't be more different. And I'm sure there's a lot of similarities that, you know, kind of help each other out. But like, what, what was that switch like? Yeah, it was, thankfully, I had, there was a really strong team that on the PR side that was able to kind of like bring me up on the speed, bring me up to speed on a lot of things that I had pretty massive gaps on, um, you know, the leadership team inside of SRAM on that side is really good between um, Alex Rafferty and, and Sarah Leishman. Um, I, you know, I do think um, I definitely show up with like my product hat on a lot of time. I tend to like lean a little bit more towards the technical details and I tend to lean a little bit more towards like um, that side of things, you know, like really being able to understand the, the user benefits and like why someone would, would make the decisions that they made in developing a product um, and how that's going to impact like what a rider is going to experience on the ride. So I think, I think I bring that slightly different perspective to it. Um, and then I've just been drinking from the fire hose to learn. That. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird bit when you like stay with the same company and then completely change roles, but it, it's nice to be able to lean on that product side of it, especially in bike where everything is, super technical like if you don't have some technical background it becomes really hard to speak to people that do have a technical background especially when you have a pr hat on yeah totally and i mean i i, I did have the advantage of coming from rear shocks which is notoriously the one of the more technical of the more technical um realms so that that was like a huge benefit and a lot of i think that gave me a huge amount of practice in in trying to make sure I was calibrating my conversation and so that I wasn't overwhelming people with mm. technical stuff and like sort of walking them to the full understanding of, of, of the product line. Cause I mean, if you fully just dive into the deep end on a rear shock, you're going to either glaze people eyes over or <laughs> lose them. So they can't stay with you. So I think you, you really want to like make sure that everyone gets the full technical story so they understand what they're paying for or what the mm -hmm. benefits of the product are um but you gotta read the room and walk them to it in in the appropriate fashion yeah yeah for sure there's definitely a point where you know the information is great to have but it almost becomes too much for people to digest that's one of the things that we try to work really hard on here is making because in ski and in bike too there's so much like smoke and mirrors stuff that happens where people are just like oh yeah this is cool but like have no idea what it does so breaking it down for people in a way that is actually like digestible is is a huge thing to be able to do when you're especially if you're like talking to shop guys you're talking to somebody for the first time or somebody that's maybe newer to the industry is kind of getting into the product it's it's hard to understand all the bits and pieces that make something especially progressionally right like you have all of these changes that happen over the course of a, you know, a product cycle. And then all of a sudden you switch over and now people have to like relearn this whole new thing. And if they don't have that background, right. So like say someone's buying transmission and the last thing that they've had is like an old XO two by system. Like it's a very weird transition for a lot of these people to understand what it is that they're paying for. Totally. And, and actually I think transmission is a good example where even even versus our the current drivetrain, the, the drivetrain that we've been that we have in the market today, it's a pretty big step. I mean, if we just stick with like how you set the product up, the way you set the product up on a bike as a mechanic is totally different. We did that for very specific reasons, which have rider benefit in that setup isn't going to drift, things are going to be really consistent. It's very easy for you to add the parts or take the parts off of your bike. Um, we know from the warranty data that we look at and the consumer engagements that we do, a lot of the time that people are having issues with current drivetrain, it's setup related because mm -hmm. there's a lot of like specialized knowledge in how to set up a drivetrain, um, which there kind of needs to be because you're dealing with a tolerance stack up of a wheel mounted to a frame frame has a derailleur hanger mounted to it that may or may not be straight has the derailleur has to deal with all those tolerances 
has to do with the fact that it might bend at some point. Um, and so there, there does need to be high and low limit screws. There does need to be adjustable detention. What transmission gives us the ability to do is jettison all that, directly mount the cassette to the derailleur, which means we don't need all those adjustment screws. And you can literally just tighten the product onto your bike and go ride. Yeah, it's awesome. I think it's a it's a big innovation. Obviously, it's gotten a lot of press so far, and I think that it's uh, it's something that's worthwhile, especially to talk about. So, why don't we back up a little bit? What what is transmission for people that are just hearing about it for the first time, or maybe just saw a clip on Instagram or something? What what is it? What is the benefit of it, and why was this such a needed thing in SRAM's eyes? Totally, yeah. So we we are calling transmission transmission we're moving away from calling it a drivetrain for the reason that i sort of was specifically touching on um the derailleur is mounted directly to the cassette and it all mounts directly to the frame um and and really what we're doing there is there's a consistent point of reference no matter what bike you have you know an ibis santa cruz a cube there's one measurement that's the same on all of those bikes and it's the center of the rear axle on your wheel mm -hmm. and so if we can put our transmission and wrap that around that that uniform point it allows us to eliminate all those limit screws all those adjustments on the derailleur that have been there historically that are really there just to take up the tolerance stacking that occurs when your derailleur hanger is in a different place in space, your derailleur hanger has a different amount of stiffness, your derailleur hanger can get bumped and all of a sudden is out of spec. Um, so that's really what pushed us to change the nomenclature and go to transmission rather than calling this a drivetrain. Um, and then, you know, in terms of what, what pushed us to make this leap, what pushed us to, to to develop this entirely new system. You know, we look out, we are riders ourselves, and then we also listen to our, our customer feedback. And, and what we've heard consistently is people want stuff that's easier to set up. People want stuff that's gonna be a lot more durable than what they have today. Like they wanna be able to crash their bike, get up and continue pedaling or hit their derailleur on a rock and continue mm -hmm. pedaling, continue on their ride. And then lastly, they want to be able to shift under load. Um, and that shifting under load is like, yeah, for sure. Some of it has to do with e-bikes and e-bikes being more and more in the market and, and people needing to be able to shift an e-bike under load because that's just what happens when you're riding an e-bike. But realistically, like a lot of that comes from riders riding pedal bikes too. You know, cross-country racers want to be able to shift under load. The more opportunities that right. they have to shift, the better they can they can go. Um, and even new riders to the sport, you know, why have to learn that you have to let off your pedals when you're shifting? <laughs> you know, but if you never learn to shift a front derailleur and you never learn to let off your pedals when you're shifting, you know, that's like... There are riders out there who don't know how to shift a front derailleur, and at some point there'll probably be riders out there who don't don't know that you have to let off your, or that you had to let off your pedals when you're going for a shift. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's really interesting. It's almost like spoiling the future consumer in a way because they don't have to go through all this. But it's a it's a hugely beneficial thing for I mean for anybody that's shifted under load and has felt the whole thing feel like it's going to snap off. Like it's it's actually a really nice thing. And I think that's one of the more under talk because everybody I feel like is talking about the way that it mounts to the cassette, but not necessarily talking about the benefit of shifting under load. I actually think that the diagram that's on SRAM's website is really good where it kind of shows where that point is, where um, it actually engages even shifting under load. So, yeah. And I mean, just just touching on that kind of high level point of, of riders not learning how to do something you know that's we're we are trying to do innovation that improves the rider experience so like what does that mean you know if you as a rider don't have to think about managing a front derailleur shift while you're riding on the trail that allows you to be like more focused more present in the moment while you're riding your bike Dropper post is kind of like the same thing. Like 
I don't know how many people who are listening to this remember this, but like he used to have stop, open your quick release, drop your seat, and then go down the trail, which was extremely disruptive to like your experience on the on the bike. And so I think SRAM and RockShox is really focused on trying to eliminate those barriers and like make it so that you can be more present in the moment while you're on the bike. Dropper posts have done that, getting rid of the front derailleur has done that. Transmission is also doing that in that. You don't have to be worried about um, your derailleur letting you down on a ride because it's significantly more robust than anything that's ever been on the market before. Um, and then another version of that is like you can shift wherever you want. And, you know, specifically to the technology there, you know, that's um, what we're, that diagram that you're referring to is pointing at cassette mapping, um, which is blending the mechanical um profile that we've put onto the cassette with the firmware that we're running in the derailleur so that those two systems are meshed and working seamlessly together okay is there in your mind is there an ideal customer uh for this type of system or is it something that you see down the line becoming like commonplace right like dropper posts in the initial were something that were really only available on the higher end bikes and then you saw that trickle down effect and now it's like if you're buying a full suspension or even some hardtails without a dropper post it, it's a rarity now yeah so i mean first of all like who is this for i would say it's it's for mountain bikers you know we developed transmission for mountain bikers because we know that that's you know robustness is a huge thing for them Shifting under load is a huge thing for them, and then ease of setup is is a real is a real thing. Um, so it's all, it's for all mountain bikers. I definitely would say you know we um, we have a extremely strong track record of introducing new technology um, and driving um, the cost out of that as quickly as we possibly can to make sure that mm -hmm. it comes as many bikes as possible. So can't provide any illusions to the future but you know if you look historically that's something that we've always worked worked really hard on yeah yeah i think the writing's on the wall for that long term i think obviously there's a element of sticker shock when the new stuff comes out and it's like okay yeah cool i'm not buying a two thousand dollar drivetrain today for my two thousand dollar full suspension but like that stuff is presumably gonna exist in the future so i think that's a i think the people you want testing that in the interim too, are the people that are riding as hard as possible. And a lot of times those are the people that are riding more expensive, like kind of beefed up rigs. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, I think a couple of things there, you know, like we do have the price point of XO, which comes in at $1,600. So, you know, it's, it's, it's within, it's within the reach of a lot of people's budgets. Um, we are throwing a lot of new technology at you here. You know, it's, it is a fully integrated system which is which is why we weren't able to sort of like come with the upgrade kits style mm -hmm. that we've had in the past with access um you know we do we did need to move to a, a wider chain line on this system a 55 millimeter chain line so the cranks are different they they have a wider spacing than our previous cranks we also have added power meters as an option for a lot of the cranks. Additionally, bash rings are mm -hmm. on the cranks since all that necessitated sort of some changes on our end. Um, the other thing is the, as we move to that 55 millimeter chain line on the cranks, which necessitates new cranks, we were also able to push the cassette outboard 2.5 millimeters um to match that wider chain line on the cranks mm -hmm. um, on a current system you couldn't move the cassette outboard because you move the cassette into your derailleur hanger which mm -hmm. would be a problem because you would not be able to sure. move forward. um but because we eliminated the derailleur hanger and the, the cassette is literally mounting you know touching up against the rear derailleur that's what enabled us to have that extra space to move the cassette outboard um to keep that chain line um mm -hmm really good and so it is like all that interdependent um system that kind of keeps us as a package and and necessitates like the full group set side of things okay um, yeah go on oh no that's that's all yeah okay um 
is there so obviously the benefit of a derailleur hanger like historically has been okay your derailleur hanger is going to bend before your derailleur and before your frame would is there a concern that now i guess durability doesn't seem to be a concern at all on the like on the derailleur itself i mean you've seen a million videos of people smashing it with hammers and you know you guys dropping it into a wall and like shit like that but is there a concern that now frames are not going to be strong enough for that system and that's people have asked me that incessantly and like my my thought has been like no especially because you're almost splitting that frame right so the force is not going directly into the frame the same way that it would if it was just you know a heavy bolted derailleur right into the outside of the frame but you tell me like is that has that been a concern for you guys yeah so i i think a lot of people kind of forget or the best way to answer this question is to think about the, the world we're living in today you actually it's a world where your derailleur hanger can break your derailleur can go in your rear wheel and you can lose a lot of spokes your derailleur hanger can spin in your frame and some frame designs your derailleur hanger actually will damage your frame when it fails um the current i don't think anyone thinks where we're at today is a good place um there are until the udh hanger came along every individual oem had all their own derailleur hanger standards and it was extremely difficult to find the derailleur hanger that you wanted we began working with oem customers on the udh hanger standard quite a long time ago um the drawings for that standard are readily available on the internet so you can kind of look at them and see like the tolerancing on them and understand if your frame adheres to it or not which they they, they generally do it's pretty easy for a oem frame manufacturer to, to to manufacture that and you'd hear the same if you called any of them up and asked them about it um to the frame breaking, which I think is the, the the question there, you know, when you bolt your rear axle directly into your derailleur, it creates a mechanical unit that is your derailleur, rear axle, rear hub, and the rear triangle of your frame. The amount of force that that system can take is way higher which is why you've seen all these photo videos and photos of people standing on the derailleur way higher than anything that you would have seen from a previous system. Mm -hmm. So we're not, we're not saying that anything is indestructible. If you run it over with a Mack truck, it, you're <laughs> going to wash everything because that's what's going to happen. But in terms of a mountain bike system, it is way stronger than anything else that you're going to see there. The loads are transmitted into the rear hub, rear axle derailleur system. They're not going into your frame in a way that's inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And you are not going to see uh, frame failures as a result of that. And, you know, it's, 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 I think a, a sign of how much attention to detail the SRAM engineers have and the fact that they actually ride bikes themselves that, you know, we've built this robustness story and I'm telling you about how the derailleur mounts to the rear axle. And that's creating this mechanical system that can take a bunch of load. And we could end the story there and just, you know, put a pin in that, but the engineers went further than that and they made the system rebuildable on top of that. So there's a replaceable skid plate on the side of the derailleurs. The outer parallelogram is replaceable, including, the bushings that the parallelogram pins run on. And, and like, why did we take those extra steps? We took those extra steps because the engineers who designed the system are mountain bikers themselves. The product managers who are in charge of getting this product to market were mountain bikers themselves. And they knew and understood what was gonna happen to a mountain bike derailleur that was gonna get hit on rocks, the bike was gonna get thrown on the ground, the ball crashed. Um, we've all also just like, leaned our bike up against the car the wrong way and had the bike fall over. Um, so they know and understand that and took the extra steps to make those parts replaceable so that your derailleur was rebuildable and could look shiny and new even after years of abuse. And I don't think someone who's making those kinds of decisions 
on product development is the kind of person who's also going to make the decision to make a system that's going to turn around <laughs> and break your frame, right? Like yeah. that's kind of what I'm. That's like the circle that I'm trying to get at here. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. You can very clearly see that this decision was made that didn't need to be made to make this product rebuildable. The person who's going to make that decision is not going to make a decision to develop something that is going to turn around and put your frame in danger. Right. Yeah, and I think that's that's always been respected and i kudos to the sram team too because i think axis brought sram to another level i think at this point most people at least that in my world would accept the fact that like sram drivetrains are where it's at like in terms of going against other competitors the stuff has it's been good for a long time like especially since eagle it kind of said it into that next level where people are like, okay, now I can get a 50 tooth. And then everybody else is trying to catch up to that. And then it's a 52. Everybody else is trying to catch up to that. And then we move to axis and then we move to now transmission. So it, it feels like you guys are kind of creating a gap between a lot of the other like drivetrain companies that are available out there. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, this was a, a very tight conversation between whether people wanted to run a Shimano system or a SRAM system. Thank you for that. I would say we're <laughs> trying. We're trying really hard. You know, it's we are paying really close attention to what we're doing. Um, we're trying to do better than what we're doing. You know, if you went back a few years and you asked, or, or even in now in this moment, if you asked some of the engineers who work on this project um, why they did what they were doing, and it was because whilst they were really proud of what they had done with eagle and with access you know they show up to work every day and want to provide value to the company they want to provide value um to the riders who are buying their product they want a sense of self-worth mm -hmm. um, and and when they looked at what they needed to do to improve on the current access systems it wasn't just like changing the teeth profile on the cassettes it wasn't just like adding another cog you know i mean we could have could have been playing the tooth count game and like yeah, yeah. this thing um what those engineers realized really was like we needed a serious increase in the robustness of the system mm -hmm. we needed to make it easy to set up so that anyone can set this up um and people need people need to be able to shift under full load um and so it was really those three things and like everything as far as a technical solution cassette mapping uh the full mount on the derailleur all that kind of fell out of those like three core principles of making it easy to set up shifting under load and robustness yeah yeah for sure i I wonder how long it's going to take people to kind of make that adaptation into the system. I mean, obviously at this point, and I would imagine in the future, it's only going to be compatible with UDH compatible bikes. Um, is that there's part of this that feels a little Apple esque to me where like we're changing the system and it's like, here's the system. It does not work with the old stuff and uh, you got to get the new one. If you want the new stuff like a to Z right. And versus with access, there was an upgrade kit available. Is that a, was that a concern at all when you guys were putting this to market? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we always want to provide the cleanest, least expensive upgrade path to riders because we know and understand that that's what's going to be the easiest path forward. I think in this situation with transmission to provide those user benefits that I was talking about ease of setup robustness shifting under yeah. load we really need to get the cassette and the derailleur directly engaged with each other so that there isn't any tolerance stack up in between those two and we have a very robust mount for the derailleur the in you know the the trickle on um to to get there we need the UDA's interface. Like we don't, we can't have anything in between the derailleur and the cassette. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's really the core of, of this is like, again, going back to kind of where I started with this is 
there's a there's a measurement that's uniform across all these different bikes and it's the center of the rear wheel and if we can mount our system to the center of the rear wheel base everything off of that and not have any intermediary steps in between them it allows us to make a system that's really robust easy to set up and can shift under load and that's where we're at yeah was so like to me especially when i was in the shop a bunch I, I feel like every other bike that came in with an eagle system especially when it went to 52 was set up incorrectly i imagine that that like now that this is basically like plug and play that's got to relieve a lot of pressure on shops it's got to relieve a lot of pressure on the consumer and now it's just a thing that's that's ready to go it is that like, is that true? Is it actually as easy to set up as people are, as you guys are saying it is? Yeah, it, uh, it is. Well, first of all, I'm really sorry that you were dealing with that many. <laughs> it wasn't like it was your guys's fault. It's just that like people try to do it themselves or a shop that isn't experienced with it, you know, uses it and like sets it up incorrectly. But at the amount of like snap chains and like, you know, bent derailers that happen with that system was was quite a few and there's a correct way to do it and a wrong way to do it and that's really all this was just a symptom of that problem was that people were just running bikes they get psyched on having a new drivetrain or whatever and whether it's shops or whether it's just the end consumer not doing it correctly i think there was there was definitely a little bit of a gap there yeah and i, and I mean i think you saw us trying to close that gap in a lot of instances you know, we made a specific tool which right. clip onto the cassette, which like made it very straightforward for setting up the, the B tension on that. Um, and, and that was an, our, one of our attempts at like making it as simple and easy as possible. Mm -hmm. The feedback that you just gave definitely informed a lot of the decision-making that we made in transmission in that you don't have to know a bunch of little tiny small nuanced details to set this system up properly you prepare the parts which is you know pairing the axis system cutting the chain to the proper length you hang the parts on your bike and then you tighten the system in a very specific order and it's you know it's putting your derailleur in the setup key tightening your derailleur tightening the rear axle on your bike and you're done yeah you know the first couple times you do it, you're sort of like, what? <laughs> Did I really just like finish setting this bike up? And then after a while, it becomes so route and like so quick that you don't yeah. even think about it. And then, you know, I think you've seen all of our content around this, but like, you know, before when you would watch a service video on how to set something up like there was a lot of nuance and a lot of detail and a lot of like stop make sure you do this type of setup when you watch our content on this now like you know you could have the iphone sitting on the workbench table and set this up and do it right the first time and not have to skip back on the video because it's it's really that straightforward it really is like hang the parts on the bike put the derailleur in the setup key tighten the derailleur, tighten the rear axle on the bike, take the derailleur out of the setup key and you're, you're done. That's it. Yeah. How, how long has the system been in the works for? Like, I mean, UDH has been around for a little while now, but I imagine like this started to get worked on pretty, like pretty far in advance. Yeah. This, this, I don't, you know, I don't, I think um, there isn't like a date that this was starting to work on. I think this is something that's been, bits and pieces of this have been living in the minds of engineers in Schweinfurt for quite some time and putting all those bits and pieces together into this, um, into transmission took a while. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty impressive to see how it's, it's kind of come from like little ideas here and there things we wanted to have in the original Eagle, but like couldn't quite make it cause they weren't quite done. Um, and then, and then getting there and, and, you know, we did have to, we did have to, you know, create you, we need the UDH standard to mount this system, but we did need UDH to be something that stood on its own. Like we couldn't just right. 
um, get people to sign on to transmission because of the UDH standard. And that derailleur hanger had a huge number of benefits just all on its own. I mean, today, like you could, you could fly anywhere in the world and to break your derailleur hanger, walk into a bike shop and be able to get a UDH hanger. So like, regardless of transmission coming or not, there was a huge benefit to everyone to having um, transmission or the UDH hanger available. My, I'm, I'm just remembering a road trip that I took years and years ago to Hood River and uh, we were in a Subaru and there were three bikes on the roof rack. And the, when we got to Hood River, we pulled one of the bikes off and the bike that was in the middle of the derailleur was like hanging like eight inches <laughs> below the <laughs> eight inches below the rack because the derailleur hanger had somehow broken off on the drive down. And this dates the story a little bit, but it was a it was an iron horse Sunday. <laughs> we went to every single bike shop in Hood River and none of them had a iron horse Sunday um, derailleur hanger. And uh, and yeah that that guy had to ride chainless the whole weekend because his derailleur hanger broke and that was that. Oh my god. It's that has always been like the bane of every bike tech's existence is finding the correct derailleur hanger for the correct bike in the correct year and the correct shape and like just guessing on like wheels manufacturing and just hoping for the right thing to just show up and you know you can't just roll into a shop and get one of these things and that has always been a question for a very long time for people is like why does it have to exist like this like why does it have to be like i have a bike that's at the shop right now that's been there for six months like an old whatever it is gt gtr or something like that from like 98 and like the derailleur hanger doesn't exist for that thing anymore like so we're having someone custom make a derailleur hanger for this bike that is not not current and the guy doesn't care about it he just wants it to be in one piece to work but like if that was somebody that needed to go ride their bike and that was their only bike they're shit out of luck for half a year yeah one and i mean i think you know if we get in the way back machine to remember you know derailleur hangers came about because originally frames were steel you know you didn't have to worry about bending a steel derailleur hanger because it, you could bend them back we switched to aluminum and carbon frames and like you need to have a replaceable unit on there but i can tell you right now there's a lot of teething in there as someone who has like developed derailleur hangers and like on it less well at times um derailleur hangers are really hard like making them the appropriate amount appropriate level of stiffness making it so that the derailleur hanger can break without breaking your frame um but they aren't intended to save your derailleur and they're certainly not intended to help save your wheel i think everyone not everyone maybe but i personally have many instances of my derailleur going straight into my rear wheel and having to replace a lot of spokes as a result of that and that's ride ruining that's a ride ruining situation we really just want to get rid of it like why why do you have to replace three spokes on your wheel when you hit your derailleur on a rock um when we can get rid of old road bike technology the derailleur hanger and make something that is up to snuff with current mountain bikes yeah yeah it's there's definitely an aspect to this that's really nice to see because it's it's more about function than anything else i think with like the axis launch for example you don't need axis right you don't it's not a it's a nice thing to have yes the shifting's better but it was like a gucci thing kind of like people were buying this like fancy bluetooth style drivetrain and there wasn't there wasn't a huge aspect of it, at least in my eyes, that was super function based. Yes, the shifting was better. It's cleaner. It's like click of a button and it's like it's a beautiful product, but it was a lot harder to explain why someone should really want it other than the bling factor. And there's plenty of people that just opted to go with cable systems still, even if they were upgrading and it wasn't a huge cost to go to an access system. But now I think there's there's this story here that kind of tells a durability and longevity story that is that is much different than what's been released in the past yeah and i mean that that longevity story we haven't we haven't really touched on it because it's it's something that 
it's hard for us to like put a finger on. But, you know, if you saw a lot of the media that rolled out, one of the things you've noticed is that there were some media who put about a thousand miles on these systems before they came out. And that was like a very deliberate choice on our end. And, um, you know, that actually came from uh, I was on a ride and I ran into one of our test riders um, and like way back years ago. And um, I think maybe in late 2021, or I think it was in late 2021, I ran into this individual on a ride and we were just talking and I asked him how many miles he had on his prototype transmission at the time. And he told me he had like 1200 miles on his <laughs> chain and I, and derailleur. And I just remember, and this is obviously like very early, you know, it's pre-production stuff. It's not quite there yet. But I remember looking at his cassette and chain and derailleur and just being blown away that he had that many miles on this system that still worked flawlessly. And we've made like a bunch of meaningful improvements from what the system that he was riding. Um, so I, I think, you know, we can't really point a lot to the longevity because like really like you just need to get out like people just need to get out there and ride it and like see for themselves but it is going to last a lot longer for you and just going back to that rebuildability side of it like you can make this thing look brand new because you can replace the skid plate on the derailleur and the outer parallelogram those are the things that are going to hit the ground you know the cage is another thing that's going to hit the ground come into contact with products and like those are also replayable, replaceable. You don't even have to take your chain off the bike to replace your cage. Um, you can actually just unbolt your cage, uh, take the chain out of it, and then spin the cage backwards off the bike and, and replace that if you want to, um, yeah. if you, you know, if you were to bend it or something like that. So those are like really huge advantages for a rider to be able to keep their bike going for, you know, for perpetuity. Yeah, no, for sure. I think obviously we're talking the system up quite a bit, but I think it's it's a product that is definitely going to change the way that people look at their drivetrains, especially like people that are sitting at home and, you know, have a bike that they're almost ready to replace. Like, I think it, it very much adds into the conversation for them. Like, is this a thing that I should be investing in now? Because it, it actually could save me a lot of money in the in the long term. And I think that's a that's a huge benefit as well. So one of the things I wanted to ask you too was like how how did the launch go? Like how was the reception from the audience and from like consumers what you guys were expecting? Was it above that, below that? Like I've seen it quite a bit obviously on social whenever there's a new product that comes out, but it seems like this one has kind of struck a chord with people a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think it struck a chord with people because I think, you know, we've delivered on what a lot of riders are looking for. I mean, like, again, like I think a lot of the listeners to this podcast have probably like hit a derailleur on a rock, broken yeah. the derailleur and like been really disappointed in that experience um, or had a ride ruined by that. Um, you know, I personally have like, had to call my wife and be like, ah, I can't, <laughs> I can't fix this thing. I need you to come and pick me up. Um, and, and we really just want to have people not have that experience out there. So I think, I think that's what you're really seeing there is, um, or that's, that's what I, my perception of, of what you've been seeing there is that this really resonates with riders. Cause we've all been there. We've all been standing on the side of the trail, staring at our derailleur which came in contact with something and like trying to figure out how we're going to fix it with three zip ties yeah if that <laughs> if that um so yeah that that that's kind of what i would say there like that that's that's my hope is um and, th and that's been you know the conversations that i've had with riders on the side of the trail since we lost launched this has has just been um to that to that point yeah that's awesome um the last thing i kind of want to ask about because i feel like it's been a little overshadowed obviously with the transmission launch is the new brakes i think that's 
an area to me that's like the biggest area of improvement that SRAM could make in a product um, would be the brakes. So what what's different about the new brake line? Like what what can people expect there? Yeah, totally. So um, we have um, new code stealth. Um, so that's um, code at an ultimate level and then code silver. Um, which would be like akin to what we had in RSC before. So code ultimate does represent like a new higher tier. Um, and then on the level side of things, we have level stealth for piston. So that's, you know, a, a level style lever, which is designed to be as light as possible, um, but then with a four piston um, caliper. And then we also have level stealth two, two piston, which is that same level, um, lever with a two piston caliper so those are kind of like the different um, mm -hmm. models that are out there but what we've really done with the system is we've taken those levers and we've tucked the master cylinder right up against the handlebar so that your cables are out of your field of view as you're riding your bike yep and the vision there and the goal there is that the less um visual distractions that you have while you're riding down the down the trail the more you're able to focus on the trail but also like bike just looks a lot better and, <laughs> and like these are really expensive things that we also want to have look good at the same time um so we're really like trying to declutter get the cables out of the way um the the thing that's nice about the way that we've set these up is like you can you know as a frame manufacturer you can have any kind of cable routing that you would want to have like you could have external brake cable routing you could have internal brake cable routing you can do whatever you want but it does tuck those cables nicely up against your handlebar so that you don't have the the view obstructed as a rider yeah yeah i mean obviously it, it makes it look substantially cleaner especially if people are running an axis dropper and shifter i think the potential there to really clean things up like it hasn't been done before is really cool i do like the serviceability aspect of it has definitely been a question, I think, from people like, OK, like if I have to yank this thing out, like what does that look like? And I think people are still kind of getting adjusted to what that's going to look like on a mass scale. But I think in terms of the way it looks and the cleanliness of it, I think it's a it's a huge win. Yeah, totally. So in terms of like serviceability, you know, it's it does use like all the same fittings. Mm -hmm. um, so like completely unchanged in terms of like bleed tools and like reconnecting cable fittings that's all it's also all the same um it does allow you to like cut your cables to like a more precise length just because they're they're not like hanging out in space as much as they used to um but yeah in terms of in terms of service and stuff like that it should be there shouldn't be anything unchanged on, on that side of things Cool. Awesome. Um, that's basically all I have for you, dude. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of chat through this it's a system that people are really excited about. And I kind of wanted to give people the opportunity to dive into it a little bit more. Yeah, totally. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I mean, I think um, this is a technology and a system that a lot of the listeners to this call are going to end up riding it at some point. It's really good to give them the opportunity to understand why we did what we did and um you know i think uh i think anytime you know you start to feel um like technology is moving fast and moving quickly i think it's good to remember like how far we've come you know like how far mountain bikes have come i i sort of when i started cross-country mountain biking i ended up very quickly just going to a single speed because at the time what was available in the market wasn't working for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, like all these years later, I look at the, the super bikes that we have, um, which you pay attention to the amount of inflation that's occurred since <laughs> the nineties, the bikes are actually cheaper, just purely based on like, 2% or 2.4% inflation. It's, it's like, you're kind of in a better situation than you used to be. Um, 
And you can have 12 gears instead of uh, feeling like you need to ride at a single speed to get that durability. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been a little bit of the death of single speed lately because I think a lot of people are starting to realize like, oh, this is actually a really clean system and I don't have to worry about having a front, right? Because negating a front derailleur was like the first goal from everybody. And then once that got done, it, it kind of becomes a, a convert. And obviously there's still value in riding single speed if you do that. And there's a certain like, I don't know, people look at it fondly because it's so simple, but I think this kind of brings it into the next step there. Yeah. One, and I mean, thinking about the front derailleur for a second, as, as someone who was an OEM product manager, you know, I was working for a bicycle brand at the time. And, you know, I don't think your listeners can see, but you can see how much gray hair I have in my beard. And <laughs> I, there's a, there's a double digit percentage of that gray beard. Um, comes from developing a frame that did not have the ability to run a front derailleur and the amount of pushback that I had to deal with on developing a full suspension mountain bike without a front derailleur was really hard at that time. And I, and I think like it points to change being hard. It is hard in the moment, but there are some times where you look back on that change and you're like, how did we do that before? Like, how did we develop full suspension bikes accommodating a front derailleur? How did we ride full yeah. suspension <laughs> front derailleur and like keep in mind how we needed to make that shift? And and so I think, you know, it's it's important to keep that context in mind um and evaluate new products and new technologies on their own and really think about like what the user benefit of like of of what's being put in front of you is and and never mind me being a SRAM employee right now like as a mountain biker I'm extremely compelled by transmission because it checks the boxes of like the things that have stopped me from being able to have a ride in the past mm -hmm. it just deals with all that yeah for sure um if people want more information on this stuff where where is the best place to send them whether it's a tech video or SRAM's website like what's what would you recommend for people that are trying to get into the weeds a little bit yeah i would say the sram.com is a really great place to start um and um we also have a youtube channel that has a ton of great content on it um featuring peter matthews and i don't know about you but i could watch peter matthews all day <laughs> same same. Awesome. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate the time.